uh, on Twitter, it's really easy to talk about trading and everything like that all day, every day. Um, long-term investing, sometimes, you know, it, it's a lot of strategy and then kind of sit and wait and let stuff play out. It's not in the every single day. Um, but we, we just saw that there was too many spaces uh, on technical analysis and everything short-term and just not enough uh, on this whole long-term thesis. Now, we got a good long-term investing space. Comment. I'm just going to gake a minute or two to get my uh, main account up in here and get everything going, tweet, and uh, we'll get going in a minute. Who's speaking today? So today we have Brad, stock market nerd as always, Alex, the science of hitting, T-S-O-H underscore investing. I see him in the crowd. And then we have Jack Hurley from yesterday, uh, Jack's Capital coming in. Just, I, I think, quick two note before we do get started. Oh, is this face not recorded? Okay, well, that's unfortunate. I know we do have someone in the crowd going down there recording it for us, so we'll get that posted up after. Definitely, before we do get started, I want to quick give the purpose of the space, and obviously there's a lot of macro stuff going on right now, and obviously by that I mean the Russia-Ukraine situation. So we are definitely stock market people. We are here to talk about the stock market. We know all this macro stuff is going on, and first of all, you know, our thoughts and prayers are, are go out to the people of Ukraine. Hate to see what is happening there. Um but as I said, did you, yeah. Did you see the the official Ukraine account tweeting at them? At Russia, yeah, telling people. I think that, yeah, we'll get into a little bit more of it going forward. But yeah, um, interesting. I don't know the words, but yeah, we'll, we'll keep moving on for that. Just, just sad to see. Hope everyone is okay and, and will be okay going forward. Um, but yeah, overall, just wanted to come in here and have a good talk generally about markets, long-term investing, maybe investing around the volatility, but... You know, I still think it is important to uh, to have that outlet of play for people to come in and, and talk about what we've been doing. So uh, excited to be here and feel lucky to be able to provide that. With that, I'm going to throw it around to the speakers that we have up here, Brad and Alex, get a little bit of intro into their weeks in the markets, maybe some of what's happening with their stocks or anything they got going there. I'll throw it over to you first, Brad. Yeah, uh, just for, for me, uh, just a lot of earnings reports and and trying to <laughs> – Trying to, to focus on them while while apartment buildings in the Ukraine are, are getting bombed is is a pretty is a pretty uh, a tough proposition. But but I mean I'm doing my best, just like everyone's doing their best this week. Um, so so happy to talk through uh, Teladoc and Olo and Revolve uh, and and Lemonade and, and how the reports went. Um, again, most importantly, hope hope everyone is doing well and is staying as calm and 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 safe as they possibly can. Uh, just, just a, not a, not, not a really bright time in human history, but, uh, we'll try to, we'll try to keep this as maybe hopefully a, a well-needed distraction from, from all that, all, all of these dark things. And, and we'll, we'll talk about stocks, which I'm, which I'm excited to do with, uh, with my friend, the science of hitting as well. Awesome. Yeah. Appreciate that. Excited to have you on for the spaces and definitely sharing the same overall sentiments there. Uh, Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, all things considered. Hopefully you can hear me. My my headphones don't seem to be working. Um, yeah, definitely reiterate the things that Brad said. And, you know, as investors, this is, if, if you want to take a, a, a positive takeaway from everything that's happening in the markets generally and in the world, I think this is a, a good learning experience for a lot of younger, younger investors in terms of, of what it means to truly manage a portfolio as opposed to, to picking individual stocks and, and understanding things like position sizing and and what you truly own, the ability of companies and management teams to navigate difficult periods. So, uh, I think a lot of a lot of good lessons will come from from difficult times. And happy to talk about anything that people care to discuss. Yeah, no, this is definitely a very very difficult environment for individual stock pickers, and it's kind of coming out of uh, an environment in 2020, a little bit less than 2021, but that it was very easy for. So it, it's very the. the the difference that we've had over the last year or two is quite, quite crazy to see. You know, a lot of the FinTwit favorite stocks from last year are now some of the worst ones, have some of the worst charts possible. Um, you know, for my friends, I had a bunch of people this morning messaging me, what do we think we're going to do? Should I go in? Should I buy? Should I do whatever? Um, talking about these individual stocks. And I, and I wasn't able to kind of go in there and say, yes, you should go out and buy this stock, this stock, this stock. What I was able to do and tell these people is just, you know, these broad-based indexes, you're not going to look at the stock market as much every day. Like the, these broad-based indexes, whenever we get a 15, 20% dip, uh, I do feel comfortable saying you can dollar cost average a little bit into those. So um, very, a very, very difficult environment for 
individual stock pickers out there, but don't let that sway you from the market. There are a lot of really great tools and, and mechanisms for you to get into the market, get a market return, build wealth, uh, and not expose yourself to a lot of these single stocks, stock risks. Uh, with that, I want to throw it over to you, Wolf. Um, see how you are feeling, get a little bit into uh, how your week has been, how your day has been. You know, today's going. Uh, obviously, a lot going on. Uh, really did want to kind of, you know, be part of stuff that was, you know, sleep and, and some other stuff, which I think everybody needs to remind. I think people are getting really caught up into the news cycle, but important to still, like, take care of yourselves, right? Sleep, eat, all those type of things. I know some people have family and stuff. Um, on my end, uh, when it comes to the market, uh, I didn't make a lot of moves today. Uh, we covered the only move that I made this morning. Um, I added to my long-term position in Tesla at 742. Um, that's the only addition that I made today. Uh, I was just wanted to see how things shook out. And, um, you know, we did have that bounce back. Like I think a lot of people thought there was that first 15, 20 minutes of the market where it did run back up. And, and it's like, a, now we wait and we see what happens next. Um, really the big piece here is what are the sanctions going to be? Um, how is involved is the U.S. going to, you know, be in this and how does that affect the stock market? Do we see, you know, supply chain uh, problems? Do we see, you know, an increased demand for manufacturing? Um, are people buying into, you know, Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin and other areas like that? Does the VIX shoot up through the roof? Um, just pieces that all kind of factor into more, um, you know, long term approach. But I just didn't want to personally day trade in this environment because, while well, certainly you can capitalize on volatility, things can go really, really wrong. So that's why I'm excited for this, you know, long term investment space where we'll put out some um, opportunities, which, you know, based on the last couple of months may have come down to much more reasonable uh, valuations based on their fundamentals. So that's what I'm looking at. Appreciate you, dude. Excited to have you on here. And yeah, no, excited to get into the long term investing of this you know a lot of times we're gonna we're gonna maybe go through some stocks and theories and some methods and everything like that what i really want to get out is don't necessarily take everything we say as gospel like we're going through a stock oh i gotta go and buy this stock try and take that next level thinking of it of you know this is what people who are trying to pick individual stocks who are long-term investing and who are doing this putting a lot of time in what they're looking at the types of terms they're looking at the type of things that they like to see uh, that type of thing. If you kind of just go in and say, oh, I want to buy the stock, you're not going to really get the full thing out of this. You know, when we're talking about position sizing or whatever it is, there, there's no rule. There's no nothing that's going to be perfect for everybody across everything. It's about figuring out what you need, what the right things for you are. And, and I, I think that's what it is. So just kind of take what we're saying today and try and make it your own. Do some research into it. Figure out what works for you and what doesn't. Uh, and use this as a, as a good learning area to, to hear what some of these people are talking about, the terms, everything like that. But with, with that, uh, make sure you're checking out the speakers as well. Big shout out to them for allowing us to make this such a fantastic spaces. And I'm going to throw it over to you, Brad. We can talk. I, I know you like to uh, we do deep dives into earnings. And we have a couple from this week. Maybe we do like Teladoc now. We could do one after and throw Alex uh, in between there and go to him after. Yeah, I think that's a great idea to just to do one at a time so that we can uh, keep the conversation flowing a little better. But uh, I will start with Teladoc. Um, stock setting new 52-week lows, uh, entering even lower levels versus versus pre-pandemic, and and yet the company uh, continues to continue to chug along. So two and a half percent top line beat. Um, U.S. paid members and, and visits were, were were better. Visit utilization rate is ticking up. Um, there, there are two key margin lines that I'm focused on, which is gap gross margin and adjusted EBITDA margin are both expanding. Um, and then also consider, uh, I'm, I'm sure as many of you know, they, they made a massive acquisition last year of Livongo for, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, like $18 billion, I think. Um, so net income margin based on that with, with amortization charges and uh, with stock-based comp charges connected to uh, this Livongo purchase has just been creating immensely bloated net net income losses or i'm sorry net losses uh and and, and we're we are over or we're through the worst of it but we're not through all of it yet um so you'll see year over year their net income margin went from like negative 103 percent to negative two percent um that ten thousand basis point expansion should be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt obviously um just, just because uh they're they're getting such a large benefit from these Livongo stock-based comp charges rolling off um i will also say that again they're, they're not over yet so when, when you sub out uh, I, I, I projected half of the stock-based comp charge left is, is sustainable and half is, is M&A related. So if you sub out half of the stock-based comp charge and then all of the amortization charges associated 
with these with these purchases, and then uh, you remove a tax benefit that that uh, Teladoc enjoyed during the period. So when you remove all these head and tailwinds that won't recur, that income margin is actually sitting uh, right around two or three positive two or three percent, and they actually earned or would have earned ten cents a share. So the underlying unit economics of the business uh, are are continuing to improve. Uh, they continue to remain strong. And then net income losses, or net, I'm sorry, net losses, I, sh- I need to stop saying net income losses, but net losses uh, continue to be there because of all of this M&A related activity. Um, in terms of operational highlights uh, for, from the quarter, BetterHelp, which is their direct-to-consumer mental health branch, and, and um, that arm of the business is, is really the shining star. I mean, j- just for context, the company bought it five or six years ago, seven years ago now. Uh, for four million dollars, and it's now doing seven hundred million in in run rate revenue. For, it did that in twenty twenty one. Physician, or I'm sorry, therapist onboarding is accelerating year over year. Uh, their their take rate is not falling. Similarly to a lot of other competition within this space, that's having to um, erode take rate because because churn is is just going through the roof because these services are are, are pretty commoditized. But but better helps. Uh, leading brand recognition and leading scale is kind of allowing them to circumvent um, that that take rate reduction. So good news there. Uh, Chronic Care Complete is is now out, which is um, their main their main product along with My Strength Complete that uh, that they planned on creating with Lavongo. Um, so up until now, Chronic Care has been kind of a weak point for the company. Uh, growth has underwhelmed for the last few quarters, and this this really needs to kind of turn that tide and 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 create an inflection point where Chronic Care starts to be a strength for the company and their quest of of pursuing whole person care. Um, and then conversely, Primary 360 uh, is actually ahead of schedule um, in, in terms of enrollment, expectations, and, and demand. Um, so uh, again, just, just co- contradicting head and tailwinds for, for the company, uh, one business line outperforming, one business line underperforming. Um, in terms of the 2022 guidance for, from a demand perspective, they reiterated their guide, which, which actually, based on analyst estimates, represented a 1.2% beat because uh, I guess they weren't being expected to reiterate. They missed their EBITDA guidance uh, by 2.7%, but then uh, they beat their net loss guidance uh, by 12 cents. So, so got it to a loss of a buck 50 versus a buck 62. Again, almost entirely M&A related. Uh, yeah, so there was nothing incredible to pound your chest about from, from, this, from this report, and there was nothing terrible to be, uh, to be nervous about or upset about. Uh, again, I, what I always talk about with Teladoc is telehealth is wildly commoditized and, and point solutions, uh, the barrier to entry is, is extremely low for standing one up. But what isn't what isn't commoditized and, and what actually has some real barriers and, and, and could provide somewhat of a moat for Teladoc in the future is, is the breadth of service that they, that they can provide within mental health, within chronic care, within primary care and transforming point solutions where, yeah, I can get uh, uh, checked on a, a rash or a common cold. Uh, to something a lot deeper than that with connected monitoring, with mental health, and with all of these other things. That's really how Teladoc creates more value for its customers um, and, and allows its and allows for, for, for new enterprise logo wins and, and growth. Um, so, so again, uh, the, the disappointment, or not again, the, the disappointment from the quarter came from really the timing of when, when 2022 demand would be realized. So the, the Q1 2022, I'm sorry, the Q1 2022 guide was underwhelming. But again, the, the full year 2022 guide was slightly ahead of expectations from a demand perspective and pretty much in line from a bottom line perspective. So uh, this was a product of analysts being wrong and in, in timing up um, revenue projections for, for the four quarters in 2022 rather than uh, demand being underwhelming for the year as a whole. So uh, this, the stock continues to be hated by, by, by markets. Uh, my, I mean, my cost base is, is uh, in the 130s, so I'm, I'm deeply in the red on this position. Um, and continue to be so. And I've also uh, invested almost a full position or almost almost all of the capital I'm willing to lose on a, on a single position in this company. So so it's a, it's a 5% of capital benchmark for me, and I'm already over 4% with this company. So uh, despite the fact that I've been aggressively adding in, into multiple compression and, and I've been doing so as recently as this week, um, going forward, that, that, last, that last 10% of adding um, is going to take, uh, is going to take, kind of prices and multiple compression that I don't think any of us are anticipating. Um, I, I, and, and again, not anticipating. So I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm just telling you uh, w- with how close I am to a full position at this point in time, um, something really needs to happen uh, to, to the stock price for me to, to for me to fill it out. Uh, but when looking at the quarter as a whole, long-term thesis intact, nothing, again, nothing to be e- extremely excited about and nothing to be upset about, uh, pretty much right in line. So, so that, that's, that was the takeaway. 
Awesome, Brad. I definitely appreciate that, that deep dive into Teladoc's earnings. I want to hear a little bit more about the Livongo. Well, how do we say that name? I, I, I'm just going to say it differently, but kind of how you deal with a company acquiring another company, just when, when, when one of your holdings acquires another company. There's a lot of nuances that go into it. What are kind of some strategies that you've had to like kind of do the research, look at how it affects the stock, maybe some historic events that you've gone to look back into? Is that something you've had to do or you know, any insights there? Yeah, I, I do look at look at management's track record uh, for MA, which which again with BetterHelp and, and and in touch for Teladoc is very strong. But but the scale of those acquisitions was was peanuts compared to this Livongo acquisition. So there's really not um, there's there's not a proven case study of them integrating a company that's essentially the same size as as their actual company and doing so effectively. But but for Teladoc and, and I I didn't enter Teladoc until until it uh, kind of kind of uh, tanked after this Livongo merger was announced. So I wasn't a shareholder until this happened. And that that really is because of what I've been talking about with telehealth being commoditized and and Teladoc not having differentiated itself within that sea of, of competition and, and, and price competition um, effectively enough without the remote monitoring capabilities and without the chronic care capabilities and AI-powered nudging um, that, that Livongo really brings to the table. So um, it's very easy to play Monday morning quarterback right now and say, yeah, of course, they way overpaid. Look where the stock is and look what they paid for it. And, and I'm not arguing with that. They, they, they very I mean, it's 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 hard to argue against the fact that they overpaid. Um, but in terms of in terms of what they got from Livongo, in my opinion, what, what happened was they transformed um, from from a, a really strong covid beneficiary that was going to kind of be a flash in the pan and then revert back to competing and, and racing to zero in terms of fees with all these other telehealth competitors to really being able to offer more and more unique services than everyone else can um, to to kind of separate themselves and and circumvent the, the, this Im- immense competition that's only increasing as time goes on. Sorry, Brad, I had to get back to the spaces. Awesome, dude. I appreciate that. We can dig a little bit more into Teladoc and maybe some more earnings and, and some stuff with that, but I want to let Alex, get into this. By the way, Jack, I saw your message. I did uh, send you the invite to get up here. You just got to hit the uh, request button button in the bottom left and should help you get up here. So just do that and we'll get you up in a second. But Alex, I wanted to bring you into this. I know Brad kind of did his deep dive into earnings. We didn't really talk about what you got to come with. Honestly, anything you want to talk about here from uh, a company, you, you do a deep dive into earnings, even if it was talking about concepts like position sizing or whatever it was out there. Uh, anything you want to kind of talk about on long-term investing or maybe anything top of mind? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I, I spend, I spend all my time <laughs> trying to find companies that I really want to be invested in for the long term, And, and a big part of that is thinking about business models and management teams and, you know, valuation is an incredibly important part of that, but it, it's more of an output. And, you know, I, periods like this are interesting because when prices for, I guess not everything, but a lot of things go down very significantly. It's easy to become uh, a bit overwhelmed by price action and and thinking about IRRs and the like. And I, I try to always remind myself that doing the work on that that first part, at least for me, is the most important part of the process in terms of, again, just building conviction, finding teams I want to be partnered with. So I try to keep my focus on that during these, these crazy periods. Um, Lately, a lot of my time has been spent on, I've been doing a lot of work on Peloton. Um, it's a name I never looked at particularly closely, but the announcement that Barry McCarthy would be named CEO, and for those who don't know, Barry McCarthy's well-known in terms of past experience at at both Netflix and Spotify, so that that uh, that drew my attention. So I've been, I've been spending the last week or so working through that and We'll send that report out to subscribers on Monday to the TSOH Investment Research Service. Um, in terms of some of the quarterly results I've been looking at, you know, it's been funny to see this this divergence between the the COVID winners who are now nursing a pretty nasty hangover because their their winning during COVID is proving to not be very sustainable, um, or at least a lot of choppiness. Um, Netflix is probably a notable example there, and I'm happy to talk about anything as it relates to Netflix specifically, or even more interestingly, in my opinion, how, you know, some of the struggles with Netflix have impacted the prices of other smaller competitors in that space. And I, and I think it could lend itself to changes in how aggressively they go after the market opportunity. So uh, one of the takeaways I've kind of had, which has been put in my head by my buddy Francisco Oliveira, is this idea of, of periods of 
difficulty and choppiness in some of these emerging uh, markets in, in terms of uh, businesses actually being a net benefit for the industry leader, the person who's truly focused on going after that opportunity as opposed to navigating a more difficult internal issues. So I think that's an interesting idea there. Uh, and then another company I've spent a lot of time on lately is Airbnb, which is probably, in, at least for the companies I look at, one of the true COVID winners that has, that has sustained, uh, at least in my mind, will sustain a fair amount of the gains that it's, that it's received from changes in behavior from this period, most notably in terms of long-term stays, which, you know, these, these truly long-term stays accounted for, I think they said in 2019, about 14% of their business. And last year it was north of 20. Um, so yeah, happy to talk about any of those, but I, again, during this period, I mean, forget about what's going on in the world. Just, just the, the stock price volatility stuff. I, for me, it's always just important to keep my head down and focus on what really matters, which is finding companies and, and management teams that I want to partner with for the the coming five, 10 years, not, you know, the next five, 10 days or weeks. Yeah, no, I think that definitely has to be kind of baked into a lot of this stuff. You know, we're not saying go buy this stuff, this stock or whatever right now, um, put it on your radar maybe, and you could reevaluate and evaluate looking forward. So actually, I, I like the dichotomy of those two stocks. Maybe it's just in my head, but Peloton is one that, um, I know a couple people use the product and actually will swear by the subscription service itself, but the stock has definitely become, I'll say a meme for a, a lack of a better word, but definitely has caused some people to hate it recently with its, its price movements. And I, I would say Airbnb is one that it's actually held up pretty decently and one that I have a, a pretty decent opinion on, actually one that I've been adding in the not too distant past. But I wanted to kind of get your uh, if you want to talk about either of those, I'm fine when you dig into to one of them. I think that let's start with Palantir just because you brought it up. Eps, oh my God, Peloton, the P's got me there. If you wanted to talk about that, I did see. Um, was that the CEO on uh, Jim Cramer's Mad Money last night talking, or was that someone else? Do you know, I did not, I did not see it if it was him. Um, but, I gotta say, yeah. my only comment is whoever it was is not a great public speaker. It was, it was a very very <laughs> dry interview. So if that sounds right. It could have been him. Well, if if it was him, the, the person who was named CEO recently, Barry McCarthy, is a very uh, – he's very direct in what he says, and he's very straightforward. It's been an interesting situation to get up to speed on it. As I said a moment ago, I haven't I haven't followed the story that closely outside of, you know, the past couple of weeks since some of these changes have been announced. And it's been interesting. Barry McCarthy's done uh, most notably interviews with the Financial Times and the New York Times where he – he lays out his vision or his way of thinking in a way that's, at least in my experience, pretty uncommon for for someone who's just stepping into a, a position at a new company. So it's provided a lot of a lot of useful information for me in terms of trying to think about where where they're looking to go long term. So, you know, it's it's as I write in the article, it, as a younger investor, I really I really bought into you know the off cited Buffett quote of when a when a management team with a reputation for brilliance meets a business that is, you know, not of that same caliber. It's the reputation of the business that stays intact. And, you know, I, I've like most things with Buffett quotes, I've, I've come to think of that with a little bit more nuance than I did previously. And I, I think what you see over time is that truly exceptional management teams and truly great leaders find ways to, to position themselves to, to be more exposed to great businesses and to find, ways out of some of the less attractive businesses. I mean, a very notable example would be someone like Amazon, where in my mind, even today, first party e-commerce retail is not a particularly great business as far as I can tell from their financial statements. But what they did figure out along the way was how their relationship with third party sellers could provide the opportunity to have a very attractive business. And obviously, AWS is a bit of a different animal, but that was also built from their internal capabilities and a willingness to think differently. So that's a long way of saying that I think management and strategic vision and execution are incredibly, incredibly important and maybe all that matters in a lot of cases. So anyways. Let's, let's dig a little more into that. What do we think about, like, what are you looking for when you're doing research into management and trying to find a good team? Is it really as simple as just this person was here, look at what happened under the company in that area when they're doing it, or maybe it's like even the management team of a company earning your trust over time. Is there any specific thing you're, you're looking for? Maybe any anything you found in your research when looking into people that has been helpful? Maybe it's even just actually looking at their LinkedIn page and doing that. I find that it's actually very interesting how fantastic of a tool Google 
just Google searches and obviously you got to get past the ads, you got to get past the Wikipedia, but there's so many rabbit holes you can go down and, and really find all this fantastic information on Is there, is, is there anything you kind of found with that while doing it? I think that's a great point in terms of the rabbit holes. And I, I think a lot of these things, um, I think about a lot of it in terms of just crumbs and especially in terms of red flags, things that I, that I see that I, I want to make sure I don't forget, particularly in terms of, of the frankness and trustworthiness of management. Um, and when I, whenever I see something that makes me question uh, a person on, on that dynamic, it's, it's not something I'm going to forget easily. Um, but yeah, I, I think it comes down to, you know, a lot of things, for example, at Peloton, it might be something as simple as the company having very high MPS scores and thinking about what the customer base thinks about the company um, as it relates to management and their vision. Yeah. You know, you can think about Barry McCarthy, for example, who was the CFO at Netflix for a long time. He, he lived through, he lived through that company building out a, a DVD distribution business at Netflix. He lived through a resurging blockbuster requiring a, a much tougher or leading to a much tougher competitive fight than, than what Netflix had, had seen right out of the gates. And I, I, I didn't know this until I read a book about the company probably six months or a year ago, but there was a point in time where they cut the, the price of the, the Netflix DVD offering pretty significantly in terms of trying to, to navigate a intensified competitive fight. So he, you know, he's lived through this before and he was also there during the early days of their transition transition to streaming. So just as I think about his experience, I kind of come to the conclusion that there's probably not a single person who's better positioned to try to, to navigate change at, in a, in a consumer subscription business than someone like him. So, you know, it's small things like that, that, or it's, it's things like that, that are certainly difficult to quantify. But I think if you start with that and then you also go, Hey, this is someone who I think is very honest and very trustworthy and is going to tell me what is and isn't working. I just think that's a great starting point on top of that. There's a component of this for me, and it's something I've struggled with as I've looked at, at Twitter, which I do not own, but I've, but I've researched. There's also a component of this that I like to sit down and think, if I was the person in charge of company XYZ, what would be, what would I be pushing for? Where, where do I think this business should go over time in terms of the business model? And, you know, I think in some cases, it's, it's, it's not particularly clear. I struggle with that question on Twitter for example. Um, I, I, I don't totally know how to think about things like super follows or, or spaces or review, whether or not it makes sense to focus a ton of time and energy on those things or to just be a, a source for you know the substacks of the world for people to build businesses and to monetize it that way. So, But I think to the extent that you can get an answer on that, you can see how it either aligns or differs with management's view of the world. That can also uh, you know impact the way you think about whether or not you want to invest in the company. So anyways, I think about obviously a lot of different things, but those are some of the areas that I think through as I'm, as I'm getting up to speed on a company. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Great insights. Uh, thank you for coming on here. Fantastic follow, fantastic account. We're definitely going to come back to you, Alex, get some more good conversation in there about long-term investing. Funny thing, you brought up a Twitter super follow. I was actually approved for it yesterday on the stock market news account. So uh, I still haven't signed up and done everything for it. There's still some cool stuff there, but that's, very exciting to hear. Obviously, I'm not going to be putting any of the news behind a paywall. I think that's kind of the essence of the account uh, is getting free public information out there. So we'll, we'll see what goes behind it, but still some very, very exciting things there, and I'm excited I can finally get to test that out. Uh, enough about that. I'm going to keep us moving. I see we finally got Jack up here. I'm excited you could join us. Uh, very excited to have you. We had you on a semiconductor space last night. Definitely could tell you're a, a smart guy who knows what you are talking about. Would love to hear some of your thoughts from the long-term perspective, um, you know, what you're looking in the market right now, what's been going on. And then maybe if you had any thoughts from, you know, the long-term perspective of your portfolio or, or any insights you wanted to share and come back with a little bit more of a direct question, but if there's anything top of mind, we'd love to hear it as well. Sure. So, uh, I mean, I'm typically a multi-year viewpoint, no matter what business I'm buying into. And so, you know, Many people, especially in the business I've previously worked in, would say that a stock is nothing but a, a ticker and a number to me, and I couldn't be of a different, uh, a more different mindset. And so I think in, in terms of long-term investing, if you don't uh, care about the business or want to watch the business grow in, in a long-term fashion, I, I don't think you should invest in it. And so my approach has always been, if I want to own this, I want to buy cheap and I want to sell dear. And so 
by buy cheap, I mean you should you should try to buy a business for less than one times revenue in an optimistic case, and then hopefully in the time that you own it, it'll get positive free cash flow, EBITDA, net income, um, and even cash from operations in some cases. And uh, by the time everyone's really talking about it, you should be done building your position. And so my, my long-term approach has always been to kind of be relatively quiet about what I like in the earliest stages and then try to watch the business grow over time. And so if I don't own something for, if I own something for less than a year, I would be shocked. And typically I'll spend over a year or a year and a half building a position in a company um, at advantageous times in terms of evaluation the best of my ability. And so long-term, you should always have a perspective of what's the max that you're willing to pay for a business. And that, you know, it shouldn't be based in my opinion on uh, charts or, you know, specific metrics. Those help by giving you an envelope and kind of a universe where to play in, but you really should understand the business on a, on a fundamental basis and know what it's capable of because, you know, the, the market can be deceiving as we've seen in recent months. Um, and so, from a long-term perspective, I like to buy it the day I learn about it if I like the overall thesis and then grow with the company as I grow my position, learning more about them to a point where I say, okay, you know, I'm done building this position. I don't want to own more of it, but I'm not going to sell it. And then maybe there's a day where a year or two later, there's a new opportunity I want to buy and I'm not going to take money out of my cash flow to go buy that position, but maybe I take profit from a long-term investment that I have somewhere else. And this way, it allows me to fund new ideas with old ideas. And so, for example, um, you know, Tesla has individually funded many of my new ideas just by virtue of its appreciation over time. But also, that helps me not have to spend cash flow to build new ideas. And so, you know, CleanSpark is another good example of something that grew exponentially out of control. Um, and it's not that I, I'm going to sit down and say I want to sell the business. But if that's going to offer me new opportunities to purchase new businesses in the, in the interim, you should really start a long-term thesis with money you didn't have before. And so long-term, um, you should want to sell dear, meaning that you don't want to sell something, but you bought it so cheap and it's appreciated. Use that new money to, to, a, to fund a new idea that you otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to own. And so, you know, for some perspective, like some new things that I'm looking at that I've wanted to own in the past that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to otherwise are things like Planet Labs or STEM Inc., which is a microgrid operator and software side, or Planet Labs, which is a, a software integrator for uh, a satellite image and Earth data. Um, but those, you know, I'm not using cash flow to go own those. I'm going to look at what I've owned for the last five years and say, okay, can I take 5% from this or 2% from that and fund a new position in a business that I otherwise couldn't have owned? And so just a, a brief overview of, of how I look at things, but I usually cut a threshold of, I want to buy this for a year to a year and a half and see how the business does. I'm going to make sure they do what they say they're going to do. And I'm going to follow the, the financial metrics to make sure that they're healthy. And so there's, you know, some really critical ratios that I look at to make sure that they're healthy. And those are things like asset to liability ratios, you know, EBITDA outlook, gross margin, et cetera, all the things that people are well familiar with. Um, and then to kind of, factor in the noise if somebody is beating down something that you really like long term and your and your thesis is rooted in fundamental business operations if someone's going to tell me to yell and sell something and i really love the business that gives me more conviction rather than scaring me out of it and so but oh, you know that's that's my two cents um really happy to meet you guys appreciate you taking the time uh, that's you know a little bit of an intro to myself in terms of long-term investing I want to hit in a little bit more of one of the points you, you, you touched on there, and that's selling. To me, and I think it's actually, honestly, I don't even need to say to me, in general, selling is the hardest part of this. It's, I don't want to say it's easy to find good companies, uh, but maybe it is easy to find good companies. It's hard to find good stocks at good values and companies that will go up, but um, you know, there's levels to it, and investing is definitely the hardest part of this. Um, you know, a, a lot of times when you're up, 200 300 400 percent i hear so many people kind of the psychology of it like oh what if it goes up another percentage i don't want to sell i don't want to do anything with it i would love to kind of get a little bit of your insights into your strategy with selling how you kind of deal with taking your profits when you're up big on a position but not but not fully selling out of it or doing whatever strategy so you can still have some of that potential upside uh i just want to kind of get some of your insights there yeah, this, so this is a frequent question that I get, and it's, it's been a, a definitely a long road in how to frame this and to create a framework that's logical, but both advantageous in the long term, while not exiting positions like you mentioned entirely. 
And uh, the best way that I could frame it or the way that I approach it is if you have a spreadsheet of all your positions, you should really have an idea of what percentage of your portfolio is in each of those positions. And so if something appreciates you know, significantly, um, that's money you didn't have before. And so the best thing to do with new money you didn't have before, regardless of the individual business, is to use it to make more positions, right? Or, or own more of different businesses that you can have. And so as an example, if something goes from 10% of my portfolio to 25 or 30% of my portfolio, I'm now open to a risk that I'm not willing to stomach. And that means that no one position that I own should be able to sink my ship. And this is a very big thing that Ray Dalio mentions in his book, Principles. Um, and so if something gets above that risk threshold where it's kind of you know rocking the boat a little bit, I'm going to look for where I can strategically place that capital, not based on the fact that I want to sell the business or not own as much of the business as I can. Any business I own, I want to own as much as I possibly can. And my threshold is usually 0.1 or 0.01% of a business is like my aspirational percentage to own. And, and sometimes I can achieve it. Sometimes I can get close. Um, but if it gets over 10 to 20% of my portfolio, I'm going to ask myself, you know, is, is there somewhere else this is better, this capital is better allocated? And if so, then I should sell a piece of that position to fund and kind of balance the boat. And so selling a position should be to minimize risk in your portfolio. And also at the same time, take advantage of something new that's on your radar that you can kind of use to buffer your distribution. And so selling a position in my case, I have three pillars. One is it has to offer me a better financial incentive to what I'm currently selling. So an example of that um, previously is, is you know, CleanSpark I sold to buy microgrid companies because my initial thesis on CleanSpark was to own microgrid companies. And so when there were three other options on the market that I could own while CleanSpark had appreciated to such an extent, I did so, right? And so part of that is that I'm saying to myself, there's a better opportunity in the same space that has better financial outlook than CleanSpark in this particular business segment. And so much of my CleanSpark went to STEM and it went to uh, Fluence, right? And both of those live in the same arena. They'll have the same macro improvements um, that I'm watching and that I'm monitoring, but they're a little bit more higher quality and they have a lot more blue chip business uh, you know, relationships. And so that's one example. The second pillar is that uh, to sell, there, there may be some fundamental disruption in the business that otherwise would make it less attractive than when I first purchased it. And so um, I think of an example here. Um, hmm. So, wow, so this, you know, optimistically, this hasn't happened that often. Um, you know, I can't really think of one that I would say, but if there's a, if there's a fundamental disruption, either uh, financially or some term of, uh, uh, you know, economic sanctions or something that's being banned on a list, um, something that really drives you to say, hey, this changes my outlook substantially. And so I may want to sell a piece of this position because its outlook has gone down dramatically. And one example I could maybe point to is probably Albemarle. Um, and the only reason being is because the capacity that was supposed to come online is not really to my liking and the timeline has been moved back. Um, another one, what else was moved back? And I was disappointed. Um, there, uh, oh, uh, EOSC, right. This is another, another good example, long duration energy storage, love the thesis, but the company moved back their revenue outlook, didn't realize it in time. And they moved back to all their projections. And so that disruption to me made me second, you know, second guess how much of it I should own, what percentage it should be. And so I trimmed back my exposure in that particular area. And so um, and then the third pillar is if there's uh, if there's a fundamental you know disruption of the overall thesis, right? And this would be things like Amazon and book businesses or brick and mortar, et cetera. If there's any kind of macro interruption, one thing that I'm looking at very closely for this is lithium uh, metal, and and there was an ARPA uh, funding about four and a half million dollars that's going towards replacing lithium in terms of battery chemistries, and so that would be an example of, of, of something that would cause me to want to sell or trim exposure in a certain area. And it really has to be dramatic. Appreciate that, dude. Uh, thank you for coming in with that. I want to dig in one more point in there. Um, and you kind of hit on it is when you're selling, what are you going to do with the money after that? What is your plan to do with that money you sell? And how important that is. And just kind of quickly before I do throw the question over you, that doesn't mean you can't hold cash. 
because cash is a position if your strategy and how it works for your system that you want more cash and that's your goal with a selling you can do that that is a part of this but i do think that underlying within you hit on it what are you going to do with that money you sell is an important thing to think about so kind of want to dig in a, a little bit more if there's anything you wanted to add there or, or any extra thoughts so uh, to my percentages, uh, if, you know, if I look at a balancing standpoint, cash is always a position in my portfolio to the best of my ability. And it buffers based on appetite in the market, uh, liquidity of my, you know, cash flow. Um, but most importantly, the risk that I'm willing to take in terms of that cash. Every cash, every dollar that's in your portfolio is cash over time is technically burning a hole in your pocket, if, you know, at, from an investor standpoint. Um, it's not to say that that should be your, your only motif. But I, I like to buffer between 5 and 20% cash based on the macroeconomic environment. And so I'll tell you that in 2020 or 2021, I was probably near 5 or 7% cash most of the time, right? And so post-COVID, hyperinflationary, et cetera, I'm probably sitting near 15 to 20% cash. And so I have places I'd like to deploy that cash, um, but I'm waiting out some of this institutional money to see if they start stepping in, people like Berkshire, people like... Uh, looking through 13 apps and seeing kind of where they're picking and choosing. Um, and so your cash level, if you have an opportunity that you think is a good purchase at the levels that it currently exists, there's no reason you shouldn't go buy a good business for a fair price. Right. Um, and so, you know, you should never really shy away from that, but that should never come as an expense to keep you from having ammo in your arsenal. Um, if you show up to a gunfight with no ammo, you know, it's not much of a gunfight. And so, I just like to never be at zero in terms of cash. And five is probably the most lean that I'll get. Um, and when I'm at 16, I'm trying to line up, you know, for example, today, I'm trying to set up numbers that I like for a business. For example, you know, STEM, hypothetically, I like to get them in between one and three times revenue. They're about five times right now for next year. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that there's a little bit of a, uh, of a downward turn for them. And, and they announced the, the contract with ERCOT today, which is a little... I've been waiting for that for about five months. So that's a you know, positive development, let's say. But if I can get them at certain levels, I'm happy to deploy that cash while never leaving myself too exposed or underexposed to have ammo in the arsenal. And so that's, that's kind of how I approach it. Awesome, dude. I appreciate that. Thank you for joining in. Everyone, big shout out to Jack for coming up here and giving us some great information. Make sure you're checking him out, following all the speakers. And with that, I'm going to keep us moving. Uh, in this long-term investing space, I want to throw it back over to you, Brad. We heard a little bit about your thoughts on Teladoc, your TDOC earlier. Uh, I, I know a bunch of your stocks report earnings this week. I don't know if, if Upstart's going to be on the list. I, I was watching through a tweet uh, th that you posted about how good they were doing or how good the underlying is, you know, how much, I don't, I don't know good, how much they've been progressing is what I'll say. And, and one thing you were talking about, a lot of people were coming at you uh, talking about how they compare to their IPO valuations and you were talking a lot about how they've 10 X those, those expectations this year. Can you kind of take what I just said and make it comprehensible? So from, from your quality in there, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> sure. I, I can do that. Uh, so uh, just to kind of, to put it plainly in, in, in simple numbers uh, when, when analysts first kind of forwardly projected upstarts earnings, they were expecting 38 cents a share for 2022 and now they're expecting two dollars and thirty-one cents a share for twenty twenty-two. So, um, in twenty twenty-one estimates, that they they were were supposed to essentially break even, and I mean they generated eighty-nine cents just in the fourth quarter. So, uh, they they've they've had a, a very nice a very a fun history of of short history, but a fun history of um, large beaten raises and and just quarters that that massively outperform everyone's expectations, including my own. Um, and this would this was no different. So, I mean we've we've seen. Even even going out to 2024, when I look at Coifin, the EBITDA guidance for this company went up by over 70% just after this earnings call. So, uh, so yeah, uh, it, it was a fun earnings call. Uh, but 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 I'll I'll stop I'll stop cheerleading the company. But but I will say in the news of the week post this Saturday that I will publish, I I, I did an interview uh, with Kroll Bond Rating Agency's head of asset backed securities, and and it was on Upstart. Um, so you'll you'll get the, the full Q&A in there. And, and there was a lot of interesting color and uh, on his optimism for the company, which I wasn't really expecting coming from from a credit bureau guy. Um, but but that's all there. Uh, but in terms of earnings, I, I can go through another one if you'd like, or I can I can field some more questions or I can pass the mic uh, up to you. Let's go through uh, another earnings uh, that you got going on. If you want to talk 
Sure. Anything yeah. maybe more about how the, the color of this earnings season has been going for you and your stocks? I know we got to be a, pretty much most of the way through. We got a couple of stocks going today after the close, next week, whatever. But we should be a, a pretty decent way through. So if you want to talk through one or two of your earnings, love to hear that. But maybe after that, kind of if you've had any of those perspectives of looking back of this earnings season, anything you want to share that share there that comes to mind. Sure. And I'm I'm actually uh like about halfway through my earnings season so i still have a really? lot to go so i'm, I'm not off i'm not the, sorry go ahead. i'm slipping in another question i'm slipping in another question oh yeah go what ahead. are some of the stocks that you still have to report like the largest ones yeah i'll just i'll just list some of them off um so progeny uh which is a fertility benefits company good rx uh who I, I think everyone knows what good rx does green thumb industries and air wellness and, and cresco labs are my three cannabis companies that that all have to report uh sofi crowdstrike um that's that's most of them um but but yeah a lot of a lot of uh a lot of my companies report pretty late in earnings season so i'm about yeah pretty much halfway through but, but awesome. I can, i'll just go yeah. right into oh yeah go ahead no i interrupted you i was gonna say i'm sorry for interrupting you by interrupting you again so just go just go back into what you're doing appreciate it no. to hear some of your thoughts on earnings no worries. So I, I'm, I'm going to talk about Revolve Group, which is a top five holding of mine in terms of size and one that kind of falls uh, flies under the radar quite frequently on, on FinTwit and in the investment world. So just want to uh, throw throw some love to the to the company because I mean we just talked about Teladoc and and if I get a chance to talk about Lemonade, I'll have a lot of negative things to say about that report. But in terms of in terms of this report, it was quite good. So eight percent top line beat, uh, and and it was really power. They have they have two segments. They they sell women's clothing, which Obviously, I'm not an expert, but um, just a quick anecdote. When I was, I, I learned about this company actually in, in an undergrad uh, lecture hall in Econ 401, just watching all the females uh, who were who, not all, but a large chunk of females who were who were supposed to be taking notes actually on Revolve uh, shopping. So, so that was my my uh, uh, Peter Lynch moment of um, using your community to kind of build an investment case. But that aside, uh, they they have two main segments, which is one of them is Revolve, and one of them is called Forward. Uh, both of them handsomely beat expectations, and and I mean forward, which is their newer segment, is growing 82% year over year. Revolve, which is the more mature segment, 68% year over year. We should keep in mind that this company sells clothing that people wear to go out, and they do all of their marketing at Coachella and Fashion Weeks and these live events that were not happening um, during the pandemic. So the comps are very easy right now, um, but but still well ahead of expectations from a demand standpoint. And then from a profit standpoint, it was it was even better. So the company was supposed to earn. 18 cents a share it it earned 39 cents a share so 116 percent beat uh we there was a five cent tax benefit that i should mention but even without it 89 percent beat or 16 cent beat um also uh we had a 2021 gross profit margin guide of 54.5 percent for the year we were well well ahead of that for the first nine months of the year which which implies a gross margin for q4 well below it um instead we got a 54.8 percent gross margin so full year gross margin was was well ahead of expectations um, adjusted EBITDA margin, uh, set a new company record. Uh, free cash flow margin actually turned negative, but that is solely a product of the company uh, aggressively building back inventory to kind of take up, take advantage of this pent up demand that's now uncoiling as we enter or as we exit these macroeconomic headwinds and and those turn into tailwinds. Um, so so that that's really where where the cash flow um, the cash flow dip came from. Uh, Kylie Jenner, who is maybe the most ubiquitous fashion icon in the world, is now. Uh, for the forward segments, a creative director who, who's really running the inventory system and, and and the vision behind that brand. So it's really given it a large boost and allowed and allowed Revolve to to take share at a very a very quick quick pace. Not not just growing quickly, but taking share from other other uh, large companies in this high end fashion uh, space. Um, so yeah, I mean a, a doubling profit a profit uh profit result or, or double up versus the guidance, large top line beat. Um, they gave us more color into, into the first quarter of 2022, telling us uh, that over the first seven weeks uh, of, of the calendar year, growth remained in the year over year. Uh, sorry, I'm going to say uh, it. I'm, I'm messing up. Gro growth uh, remained in the 70 percent range for the first seven weeks of 2022. So um, we are lapping these really, really favorable uh, comp tailwinds that I was talking about. So the fact that they're maintaining that 70 percent growth level um, well into February is, is a very very encouraging sign to me of, of things to come. Uh, th this is a company that's supposed to grow 20 to 25% a year uh, run rate. That, that's the guidance that they put forth. Um, and, and, and it looks like they're going to be well above that for the foreseeable future. Um, again, partially uh, COVID ending and, and turning into um, 
of demand on coiling uh, tailwind for them that it's partially that related uh, but also partially due to the fact that this forward segment that kylie jenner is running is just absolutely taking off and flourishing um in revolve and, and the revolve segment is as well uh active customer growth uh was was year over year active customer growth was their fastest rate in in two years um so so yeah this is this is really just uh, just a company clicking on all cylinders and a company also trading now probably around 25, 30 times uh, 2022 earnings. Uh, so it, it is attractively priced in my mind and, and it's performing um, at a very high level. So we're, we're talking about finding great companies, but also finding great stocks. And in my extremely biased cheerleader, shareholder, I own shares uh, view, um, this this is a great stock and a great company. But, but en- enough about Revolve. Uh, and I will pass it back to you, Evan, to answer any questions. And and to keep the conversation rolling. I, I want to dig a little bit more into the concept of Revolve Group and just kind of a lot of people love to start investing in the stocks they'll pick up are ones they know and use every day. And just the truth of the demographics or whatever the market uh, of stock market investors, it's not a lot of females. It's a lot. It's a lot more. I'm sure the day traders are pretty much 80, 90 percent men. Hopefully, you know, it changes more, but it's just kind of the world that is in right now. I don't have any legit numbers behind it, but. I'm sure if into it, you can tell. But pretty much what I'm getting at here is makeup is not something that a lot of people on here will fully understand. Uh, but the business itself is quite understandable. You know, a lot of people, uh, I would hope, are around females and doing stuff like that and seeing the use cases for makeup. So really what I want to get at here is kind of the concept of try- how do you find some of these businesses that aren't necessarily so well known out there, kind of out of your sphere of influence and kind of jump in a- another question on-, on top of that. The makeup space, is that something you've noticed just kind of overall less coverage on it? So like you, you might see like slightly better values, you know, when everyone's staring at a stock like NVIDIA or whatever, the eyeballs that get a lot of attention, Tesla, there's just inherently going to be my, more buyers, which is going to cause prices, prices to go up. Has there been anything in there where it's just kind of outside the, the main stock Twitter or not Twitter, main stock investors to think about? Um, yeah, as always, multiple questions in there, but Brad, you're so fantastic at going through them and putting some clarity out uh, of what I come with you. So uh, excited to hear you got. Sure. So feeling them in order. And if I forget any of them, please, uh, please let me know and, I'll, and I'm happy to answer. But but really for Revolve, it was it was a, a product of of being a, a senior in college um, and, and being in, in lecture halls where I where I was uh, maybe not paying a, a ton of attention and, and looking around and 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 seeing again just uh, the opposite gender and, and and the sheer number of of them shopping not on Amazon not on um, whatever whatever other sites they shop on but uh, shopping on revolve.coms and I had no idea what that was so it, that that really kind of um, just 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 inspired the research to figure out what the company did um, and and it, it and luckily they were going public right around that time so it it really was just a perfect storm of right place and the right time. Um, and then leaning on female friends uh, 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 on their opinions of the company and, 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 and actively asking them and, and feeling a little silly doing so. But, but, it, but it's, part of the, it's just part of the process. And, and, um, and yeah, I, I'm obviously not, not an expert on, on dresses or, or skirts or, or, or everything else that they sell. Um, but but I, can, I, I can use uh, the resources I have around me. Um, to to take advantage of people who are more so experts on on dresses and, and, and clothing and and what is in style and what is identifying with with younger customers who are going to be able to contribute to LTV for a very long time and what isn't resonating so so that really um, kickstarted uh, the interest in Revolve and then your second question I cannot remember for the life of me so if you could remind me that'd be great perfect um, have you kind of like noticed like a uh, less people covering this name or less volume or you know, maybe even just lower valuations in this being a, a sector that a lot of the demographic of investors might not see on a day-to-day basis or might not care is the word that's in my mind and that doesn't feel right, but you kind of get what the concept and the question I'm asking. No, no, I think that's, I think that's a great point. Um, just because of, of the unfortunate reality that, that this, this uh, practice or, or that this industry of investing is so male-dominated, um, these companies, and, and maybe you throw like an Alta in there or something else, do kind of get overlooked. And I think um, while that can be frustrating for shareholders, it can also be a wonderful opportunity to take advantage of, of inefficiencies within the market that, that we can profit off of uh, in, in terms of, in terms of the, the, the idea and the thesis, sorry, my dogs are barking in the background, 
but this long-term idea that that revenue compounding and cash flow compounding that's what's going to matter um, in the years to come not not how many eyeballs are on the stock today and and how many are going to be on the stock tomorrow um, those eyeballs will follow if revolve keeps doing what it's doing and and, and so far so good Awesome, Brad. Appreciate that. Appreciate the insights as always. We're coming up on one o'clock. I am going to slide us over into wrap ups in a minute. One more time. I do really appreciate all the speakers for coming in and making this such a high quality space. Big shout out to the listeners for coming in and getting some value out of it. It's really what makes it worth it. Uh, big shout out to you, Joseph Carlson down below. I've seen your YouTube channel a decent bit. You've been rec- recommended uh, as actually one of the people that should come on the spaces. So we'd love to have you here next week. Um, but yeah, I, I want to start us over, throw us over to Alex before we do get into the wrap ups, give you the opportunity to respond to anything that, that you've heard today or any other statements you kind of want to get out there. I, I do have a question. I want to specifically hear your, your thoughts on selling, but if there was anything, um, other concepts, any other topics that you heard today, uh, would love to hear, uh, your insights and anything there. Yeah. One, just one thought that, that's, that came to mind and something I've been thinking throughout this, this earning season where. You know, when a company reports and and you pull up a press release and you start reading, I think a lot of times, at least for me, and I have a sense that others go to the same place, you start thinking about the results in terms of of expectations and, you know, quantified results and, and basically trying to say, is this a good quarter? Is this a bad quarter? Somewhere in between. And after a little while of looking, you eventually go see how the stock market's reacting. And, you know, I think this quarter, especially, there were a handful of companies that I own or follow closely where I'd go through and read the report and think, well, you know, this is a a pretty normal result or in some cases even a good result. And then you go look and the stock was down 5, 10, 20%. And I I think what I'm trying to say in all this is that as a, as a long-term investor, I think you, you need to constantly remind yourself, especially if you're going to be in places like FinTwit or someone who's looking at short-term stock prices, that what you're focused on and what you care about will sometimes be different than what other market market participants care about. Now, that said, there's a fine line between uh, between conviction and, and overconfidence and ensuring that you have a good dose of humility in the way you look at the world. So I don't think you should just completely disregard the market's reaction, but I think you should always remain focused on the metrics and the long-term opportunities that, that you truly care about and not let yourself become become overwhelmed by what other people may be focused on. So that's all very company specific, obviously, but I think it's something that can get lost sometimes when you're, again, you know, pulling up, uh, pulling up Twitter and seeing, Hey, company XYZ is down 15% on what you thought was a fairly good quarter. So just try to reduce that noise as always and, and focus on what truly matters to the long-term investment thesis. Definitely a hundred percent agree to that. A lot of people on Twitter, there's nothing wrong with this, but when they talk, they talk from their perspective. And that perspective is not always the same perspective that you have. So I think that a lot of times you'll, you'll see short-term traders giving their thoughts around something. And sometimes it can be misconstrued from the perspective of a long-term investor. So I, I definitely think that just in general, when you're on Twitter, hearing people giving opinions, thoughts, whatever it is, check over, scroll over what their feed is, what they say they are. You know, uh, it, there's, it's not discrediting everything. It's actually really good to hear what the short-term is happening on your long-term play so you can get those better buys. And this... You know, it, it is still important where you buy and where you sell. Don't let that disregard you. The short term is still important for these long term investors, but it, it's not the be all end all. It's definitely a different type of thinking in there. So, yeah, I just encourage that as you guys are, are looking what people are saying, new people that you don't fully know, just hover over their profile, see what they're about and see how it, it jives with you. And I think that will only exponentially help you in making and forming your opinions. Uh, Alex. I definitely 100% agree with that. Appreciate you for giving those insights. I want to keep it with you for wrap-ups. I know you were hyping up your newsletter that you got going out. Uh, would love to hear a little bit more on that, where we can find that, where we can see that. And yeah, anything else you got going on? Anything else you're watching for the week? Sure. As always, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, my so for people who don't know, I've discussed this multiple times, but um, I, I worked in the investment industry for about a decade. I was a buy-side analyst at an RIA. And I left in April 2021 to take all the research and all the investment writings that I was doing just direct to people who want to subscribe to my service. So it's the TSOH Investment Research Service. Um, I pub- publish write-ups every Monday and every other Thursday. And 
the kind of stuff you'll find on there is quarterly updates for for all the companies I'm invested in, the companies that are on my watch list. You'll you'll see new deep dives, for example, Peloton on Monday, um, Roblox hopefully coming soon, Roku hopefully coming soon, um, and then you know some investment philosophy discussions, some things like holding cash, thinking about structural versus tactical allocations, etc. So. Those are the things I write about. And then anytime I make a change in my portfolio, I disclose what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And so complete portfolio transparency. So anybody can reach out anytime. Always happy to talk. And again, thank you for having me. Awesome. Appreciate you for coming on. Our pleasure. Uh, very knowledgeable person. You can definitely tell. It's really, it's, I'm going to say, I was going to say it's really hard. It's impossible to really hide how smart how much you know about the topic that you're talking about on these spaces when your voice is really behind it and you're not be able you're not google doing whatever to get out a good tweet i think you can really tell who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't and you can definitely tell alex does know what he's talking about the link to that newsletter and all that amazing research is in his bio make sure you check that out and to throw us over to brad yeah, I feel like I talk a lot for, for this basis, so I don't want to I don't want to take up uh, too too much more time and hog the the remaining minutes we have. Uh, but thank you for having me. Um, I'll always fun and talk to you guys tomorrow. Brad, I know you got a newsletter too. You're putting out a lot of free information as well. What do we got coming this weekend? Yeah, we'll have that. Th- thanks for letting me talk about it. We'll have that uh, upstart uh, interview with the the KBRA executive, and then um, SoFi had an interesting a- acquisition. This week that I'll talk a lot about uh, the three earnings reviews. I'm going to talk about Ozon too because I mean, it's it's Russian Amazon, so you can imagine how it's how how it's reacting to this this uh this war that that's that's raging. So uh, talk about what I plan to do with the the, the very small position. Um, but but yeah, uh, that that looks to be the bulk of everything. And and thank you for having me again. Uh, always fun. Our pleasure. More broad is good. So uh, definitely excited to have you on here. Make sure you're checking out Brad and everything that he is doing. Cloudflare is one that you own, right, Net? No, I own CrowdStrike, okay. uh, but not Cloudflare. I, I don't. I, okay. I mean, Cloudflare is one of those companies where I, I've read the S1. I've I've read so much on the company, and I still have absolutely no clue, uh, like how the technology works and 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 where the edge comes from. It's just it is a wildly complicated company. So so credit to people who can confidently own it. Yeah, I'm definitely in the same boat. There's a lot of tech that I'm like, oh, I know nothing. We'll, we'll check out the sector ETS for that. But uh, big big shout out to you, Brad, for coming on. Make sure you check him out. Check out everything he's doing. Uh, and yeah, appreciate you. And then uh, finally, and definitely not least, I want to throw it over to Jack for wrap-ups. Uh, yeah, Jack, what you got for us? What we got going next week or later this week? We're still only on Thursday. Yeah, no, appreciate it. Um, I'm going to be watching uh, a few earnings. I mean, I, I looked at Overstock and reviewed that. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing STEM. Uh, you know, in individual news, I, you know, I look at everything across a, a very wide range. Um, but I'll be watching Anovix. I'll be watching uh, Planet Labs when they report. I'll be looking at that TAN, which is very important for my space. Um, I'll also be following Fryer to see if they get additional financing for new facilities. Um, and I'll also be looking at, uh, in detail, GWH or ESS Inc. to see if they indicate any further conversion of pipeline to backlog. So, you know, as individual things, that's kind of, you know, most of what I'm keeping on my radar. Um, and that's, uh, I mean, that's most of what I'm looking at. I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, providing the platform, and uh, I look forward to talking a lot to you in the future. Jack, do you have a newsletter or something? Uh, no, not particularly. Uh, I mean, you can certainly reach out to me one on one, or or I can uh, I can certainly try to oblige if if that's the uh, if that's the case. How do you feel about long form writing? I'm just saying, like honestly, I found it to be a really fantastic way for really smart people to get their thoughts across in, in ways that you can go back and see it and trackable. So uh, if you if you are not if you don't hate long form writing or anything into that, I think it's definitely an avenue for you to check out. I think it's worth it. Yeah, I, have, I mean, I've personally written. Uh, probably novels on these topics uh, individually, and, and I was contributing that to, to the to the firm that I worked at previously, and, and uh, so I could certainly let that out to the public at some point. I think that is a good idea. Uh, about two years ago, I did one white paper on CleanSpark, which was kind of my first foray into the Outward uh, public forum. But yeah, I'd, uh, I could certainly look into that, and I'll I could talk to you about it further in the coming days. You definitely should. You definitely should. By the way, check out. Uh, it's not necessarily a platform you have to use, but the integration with Review for Twitter, their newsletter thing that they bought, is pretty fantastic. If you want to, hey, listen, some self uh, 
shameless self promo. If you want to see what it looks like, you can click into the bullish rippers profile, but the integration there has been pretty fantastic. Uh, so, uh, Use, use what they got. Twitter Twitter is helping you out, and, and I think that's a good tool. Check it out. Review, R-E-V-U-E, their platform. Sounds good. Will do. I appreciate it. Have a good one, everybody. Awesome. I know we got a little off topic there at the end, but that's always good. That's always nice to get in, makes these things real. Big shout-out to all the speakers for coming up here and making this such a fantastic space. Make sure you're checking them out, giving them a follow. Thank you to all the listeners for coming in here and hopefully getting some value from it. You know, I, I know you got some value on it based on the quality of speakers that we have in here. And, you know, I know with all the craziness going on in the world right now, it's sad to see. Uh, definitely, we are not the experts on that, but stocks are what we know. Stocks are what we do. Completely understand uh, if people want to you know, focus on the situation going on. But at the end of the day, no one really wants to hear our thoughts on those positions. And if, if you are... Uh, Maybe no comment there, but in general, we know what's going on. We hope that we could have been a little bit of a distraction and, and, you know, really grateful to be able to be in a spot where we can provide that, you know, uh, distraction and really be in a spot where we can be distracted and not have so much going on. It really gives a lot of perspective, but uh, thank you for everyone coming in here. Big shout out to all the speakers, listeners one more time. And uh, we got a couple more spaces later today and we'll see you then. Thank you guys and girls.